the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, look out. It's Faith Talk Live. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Radcliffe. See there, you've made it to the middle of the week. Aren't you feeling much better? I am, definitely. Well, you should. It is uh, Wednesday. Rick and Dan uh, with you on Faith Talk Live. By the way, if you uh, miss an episode of Faith Talk Live, you can listen to it uh, in podcast form. Go to faithtalkatlanta.com or wherever you get your podcast. Or if you just want to hear it again, you can do the same thing. Faith Talk Atlanta. I listen to it four or five times a day, personally. Do you really? I do, yes. I just love us that much. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. Mm. Uh, Let's see. What was I going to talk about? Uh, Over the weekend, we went to a birthday party at a place called, I don't know if this is a chain or not. It's a Japanese restaurant. You know where they cook in front of you on the griddle? Yep. It's called Kyoto. Is that a is that a chain? Uh, not that I've heard of, but it could very well be. Yeah. I mean, it was delicious. But And I've been to these places before. I'm trying to remember the name of the one in Lawrenceville we would go to. Um, but, you know, they, they all kind of have the same shtick, right? The cook, the oh, guy, yeah. he flips the... He flips the uh, shrimps at you. They all do the same thing. They yeah. they throw the butter and they say, yeah. oh, butterfly. And yeah, they do yeah. Japanese Coca-Cola and yeah. they make volcanoes and stuff. And they have the, uh, it looks like a ketchup uh, yeah. bottle yeah. that back in the old hamburger days you'd squeeze. Yeah. Uh, and it's got a like a thread or something in it and he squeezes and comes at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, these guys have gone uh, a step beyond the norm. Really? Okay. They pull out ukuleles and they sing to you. Okay. And they actually sing well. I mean, they're singing, uh, let's see, one, You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. Uh, I think the guy that we had, the, the, the chef, the cook we had, uh, he sang uh, an Elba song. Um, uh, I can't help falling in love with you. I think is, mm-hmm. is what it was. But I thought, wow, these guys, these guys have taken it a step up. Now, are we are we supposed to are we supposed to tip them separately because of the entertainment or or no? No, I think whatever you tip on the thing, I think that goes to them on your regular bill. I usually write a little paper and put it in the uh, put it on the bill. It says, uh, "Here's my tip: marry the boss's daughter." That's what I usually say. Yeah, and, and I'm sure they love that when you do that. <laughs> No, I'm a, I'm a tipper having a son in the, uh, in the service industry. Now your son works, uh, at a place, an establishment that, uh, takes tips. Do they just pull it all and everybody splits it or what's the yes. deal? Yeah, they, they pull it all. And, uh, I think like once a month they split it up, I guess, I don't know if they do it like evenly or if they do it depending on how much you've worked or whatever, but, but yeah, once a month he gets a, a little lump of cash. And it is cash. Now, uh, uh, I rarely uh, have cash on me, and I feel bad. I used to feel bad when we would go next door, mm-hmm. and our, our friend Lewis there, who we've known for 
me 17 or 18 years, you 20 some years, he's been at the same star bizzle. Um, but as like, and it wouldn't come up on the little, as you pay with the card, you know, to leave a tip Well, they've just, uh, I guess rebooted it. Now it's on there. So yeah. We can li- leave. yeah. And it's on there and it's almost like you don't have a choice because uh, <laughs> they're looking at you and you're like, you feel bad if you don't. <laughs> okay. I'll tip you. I think it's like, uh, it starts at, I don't think there's a dollar on there. Maybe. No, I start? think they do percentages like 10 or 15. That's what or 20%. it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. My dad used to, now he's changed a bit, but growing up, he would just give a dollar. He just give a dollar. Don't and do if, that. And that was good service. If they were bad service, he gave nothing. Yeah. And I'm now like, at something like Starbucks, if they're just pouring coffee for you, then yeah, if I tip, I'll, I'll do a dollar or something. But, but at a restaurant, uh, at the very least, I give 15%. Now, Dan and I used to have, when we would do the show in the studio, we had a tip jar for, for years, and I don't remember what we did with that cash. There was a there, there were a few bucks in there. There was uh, like three or four ones and some change and uh, a couple of slugs that I think Kay Dodd put in there. Yeah, speaking of Kay Dodd, where has she been? Wait, Kay, I, if you're watching or listening, you need to come back on. Should we uh, phone the police and send out an APB? Uh, yeah, or maybe we should missing uh, call person. Eddie, her her uh, Eddie. husband. Yeah, I would love to have Eddie on the show. I yeah. do follow him on the Facebook. Not this week because I'm fasting it, but uh, I love uh, that they live out in the country. And he has this cool bell, this uh, old fashioned bell out there on a like on a, a dinner bell or a stand. I, I, I don't know if it's what the, what they use it for. It could be, I guess so. You know, like on Little House on the Prairie when they would ring it, yeah, to to, uh, to call everybody. But it's just really cool. We all know about uh, Jeremy Renner. Actor Jeremy Renner uh, was basically run over by his his own snowplow. Uh, I heard this the other day, and I have it in front of me now. You know, he broke thirty bones in yeah. his body. Yeah, and for a while they were afraid they were going to have to amputate one of his legs, but I oh. guess that that has has gone not gone away, but I guess has gotten better to where they don't have to at least right now. So, well, I'm glad he is getting better because I see it uh, online and and they do a story every now and then uh, on the news uh, if they're not talking about missing files and such. Uh, yeah. They uh, happen to talk about. Uh, Jeremy Renner. Oh, wait, here's a box of files right here. It's <laughs> confidential. <laughs> Which reminds me, years ago, I, I think I'd been here for maybe two years. You, you may know, know this story. You may not know this story. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, when we say traffic, there are two traffics here mm-hmm. in broadcasting. One traffic is, is the the folks and boy, howdy, are they smart? Dan and I, there's no way we could do traffic. We don't have the intellect no. or no. the patience. Or the patience. Yeah. And uh, what you do is you basically work with the sports, the sports, do you work with the sales team and then you place the, the commercials in the time of day that they need to be. And you do that through computer, et cetera. Well, we have a log. It's a paper log, or we used to have a paper log. Do they still have a, a log on the FM over there? Yep. You still have to check it off and, and follow it throughout the day. For some reason, I guess when I first started, because I was a copywriter slash uh, uh, did pro- help Dan out a little bit from production, 
I had to look over the logs at the end of the day, I guess, to make sure the next day to make sure everything was, was on there yep. and run properly. And for whatever reason, I was in a hurry one day and, uh, I took the log that I had checked off and put it in my papers and put it in my briefcase or oh, my, no. or my bag. And I took it home. And the next day, uh, Cynthia was in charge of traffic then. Now she's, uh, is she HR? I don't, I'm not sure what she is. Uh, she's in charge of everything now, basically. Uh, she looked over her glasses at me and you know, that's almost like the, 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 uh, the, the stare of death. It is. Uh, she wanted to know what I did with the log. And I said, I didn't take your, oh, here it is. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I did. So I can under- reading last night. I can understand how you may have some uh, top secret secret material in, in, uh, in a box in your garage near your Corvette. I can understand how that could happen. You have a top <laughs> governmental secret? <I> mean, <laughs> come on. Well, I'll put this over here and over there. <laughs> oh, that's where Jimmy Hoffa is. Okay. Hey, the stolen hot dog statue has returned to a West Virginia restaurant. Uh, Wiener Man, uh, the statue, has been replaced at the Dairy Winkle in Charleston. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, apparently it is a dog pouring ketchup over his head. And it's uh, uh, it must be something that everyone comes to see. Well, someone stole it and then they returned it. Wiener Man? Wiener Man. Seriously? Spelled like wiener, you know, wieners you buy at the, okay at the, uh, at I'm the wiener man. I'm wiener man. Do you think somebody took that and put it in their living room and then it didn't match the rest of the decor? Cause they had yeah. like, uh, auto racing stuff on there. Go yeah. Dale. And, uh, they decided it wouldn't fit. So they took it back. Oh boy. Somebody stole wiener man. Okay. <laughs> And a 101-year-old woman reveals her secret to longevity. Uh, she dances every day. See, this one didn't say that she drank a pint of whiskey and smoked a couple of doobies and all well, that What stuff. do you think makes her dance every day? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, that's why we have Dan on the show, because yeah. he's, the, he's, the, he's the intelligent one. He's the, right. he's, he's the sharp one. He's the sharp knife in the drawer. I'm the dull one. We're in trouble if I'm the sharp knife. Hey, what do we have going on on our website? There's always something. Is there anything that uh, we can uh, get people to uh, enter in and win? Because that's what we want. We want our listeners to win big. We want winning listeners. That's yeah. right. Well, we've told you about the the Fit God's Way book and the Healthy Grand Prize worth $5,000. But uh, something we haven't talked about recently, at least, is the Vacation for Two to Barbados. Mm. It's a seven-day Vacation for Two. This isn't just some weekend getaway. This is a full week in Barbados, seven days, six nights at the Crane Resort. Thanks to uh, Voivio and Eric, the travel guy, you can uh, enter once per day. So even if you entered yesterday, go back and enter again today at faithtalkatlanta.com. Hey, and by the way, Dan and Kathy Radcliffe uh, will uh, chaperone you and uh, whoever you take. uh, I'll be very happy to, yeah. And uh, they'll take pictures and videos and send them back. So faithtalkatlanta.com. I'd go just for that. Yeah. Hey, let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Ratcliffe. This is Faith on Life.
Hey there, it is Faith Talk Live. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Ratcliffe. Hey, what a pleasure to talk to John Herring. He is the publisher of uh, the Readable Bible. We're going to talk about that in a second. John is the founder and CEO of Iron Stream Media. John, how are you? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on the show today. Good to have you. Yeah, we were talking uh, a, a little bit uh, earlier about uh, the reader, uh, the Readable Bible. It is out. And uh, it's uh, pretty excited about it. This is a word-for-word translation of the Bible. The guy, I guess, that put this together is Rod Laughlin. And we want to talk about how you guys uh, collided. So where do we begin on the readable Bible? Sure. Well, we uh, Rod and I met at uh, the Christian Product Expo, and we were uh, having a discussion. And he asked me the question. He said, have you ever considered or ever uh, desired to have your own translation in your publishing house? And I said, sure. Uh, and you guys need to know we're, we're not the biggest guys on the block. We're kind of the little, little guys that, you know, the little choo-choo that could, you know, we're trying to get <laughs> over the hill and uh, God is blessing us immensely. But uh, you know, a, a new translation was nothing on our radar at that moment. And so Rod began to tell me the story uh, of how he, developed the readable Bible. He went to his wife when he was 65, asked his wife if he could use their retirement money to do this incredible work of translating the Bible from uh, the earliest known manuscripts into modern formatted English. And that those words modern format, that's what makes all the difference in the readable Bible. Hmm. That's, that's the, differentiator, if you will, for what readable Bible is for those who, who pick it up and read it. Now, uh, so for, for those who have had many different translations uh, and, and kind of know the spectrum of, you know, how, how closely it follows, like if, you, if you're if you on one end, maybe you have the New American Standard Bible, and on the other end, you have the message. So where kind of does this fall, and and how do, uh, you, you say it's kind of modern English, what, what have you heard so far from people? Yeah, so it, it's it's really close to the NAS, NASB in terms of the word-for-word side of the translation. Mm-hmm. There are moments in the translation when uh, Rod and his team felt like it was necessary to go thought for thought, but he recognizes that and footnotes it and makes sure it's clear uh, to the reader at that point. But if you had to, you know, in terms of word-for-word, it would be closer to NASB. Okay. And, uh, but what makes it so different is the formatting. For okay. example, with uh, when you get to a genealogy uh, paragraph in Scripture, uh, it says so and so begot so and so begot so and so, and it's in this paragraph form. And you know, even when I'm reading through, you know, the one year Bible. And I get to those sections. I just kind of skim through it. Because yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm through. not the only one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be yeah, honest. yeah, sure. So, so uh, what Rod did was he took that paragraph and put it into a genealogy table. So now the table is representing the scripture text for that particular paragraph. Hmm. And it's much more insightful, especially for those who, uh, those of us who have uh, a Western upbringing, you know, our Western eyes and Western readers, right. you're used to seeing uh, cascading text and charts and graphs and tables. And uh, I used to think as a kid that 
you know, the book of maps came at the end. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, the maps need to be where the actual uh, uh, story is taking place. So right. periodically through the readable Bible, the maps are embedded into the text. So it, you can see it right there. and It makes great sense to you. You don't have to go searching for it and trying to, you know, which map do I look at? The map is there with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, another cool thing about it is whenever there's a description of something like a uh, description of uh, items in the temple, there's a picture or a diagram that describes for us, the Western reader, uh, what that picture is and what that diagram means. And so it's just very, very insightful. It kind of uh, opens the eyes of those who, those of us who are used to reading books and magazines that are formatted in a more modern way. I love that because just recently I was reading through the book of Nehemiah and so much of it towards the end, it's, it's describing all the, the things in the, in the temple and, and how big has everything has to be. And if you can have a, a visual of it, and see, oh, okay, well, that's cool. That that yeah. makes a lot more sense than just just reading. Going, oh my gosh, what am I reading here? Yeah, so he he's embedded all that in, in the in the reading, so it just becomes a part of uh, what you're studying at that point. Awesome. Another cool thing about it uh, in the Book of Psalms, much of the Book of Psalms, because it's poetry, uh, it's easy to uh, do a cascading text. When I was in seminary, we learned how to diagram. Uh, the chapters in Psalms, and we would do this cascading text. Uh, it's almost like your bullet pointing text. There's one particular Psalm where King David, in the readable Bible, King David says, God is, and then he goes through these attributes of God. He says, God is this, God is this, 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 this. And David repeated God is over and over again, which is good for repetition. But for the Western reader who's trying to read it on the page, right. you bullet point it and say, God is merciful, mighty, all these mm-hmm. things that God is. Yeah. In this one particular passage, you get about two-thirds of the way through, and there's a call-out box. That call-out out box, if you're not familiar with that particular passage of Scripture, King David is referring to something that happened earlier, that he said earlier. And so the call-out box calls attention to it, there's a natural break there. And then he goes right back into God is this, God is this, hmm. God is this. It's really interesting the way uh, he's laid it out. It's a, uh, it's a fun read, uh, especially if uh, you're looking for something very clear, very precise, but yet uh, uh, something that uh, makes sense to the way we read things today. Because, you you know, you guys are on the internet all day reading things and call out boxes and you're reading uh, diagrams and you're reading charts, and it just makes sense to do the Bible in that way too. Hmm. John Herring is the uh, publisher of the Reader Bible. That's what we're talking about. He's the founder and CEO of Iron Stream Media. Uh, I'd love for you to read a little bit from it if you have one there nearby you. But first, let me ask you this: You said that um, Rod decided to do this at 65. How long did it take for Rod? Now he just didn't do the just the new Testament sounds like he did. Did he do the the entire old Testament as well? And how long did it take him? Yeah, he did the old and the new Testament. We, we, we published uh, the first 27 volume set, uh, which is important for me to to, to point out. Uh, Rod did this enormous work, Genesis to revelation in 27 individual volumes. 
you know, the smaller books towards the end are condensed, like first, second, third John and Jude. They're bunched together in one volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, so altogether, there are 27 in this set, if you will. Uh, and then we took that 27 volume set and we tried our very best to get that 20, 27 volume set into one uh, Bible that's not too thick or too heavy to carry around. Right. So if yeah, you want, yeah. want this to be your Bible for uh, Bible study or worship, you could take the, the Bible with you. Uh, to do that, we did some very thin paper. We did a lot of uh, negotiating with margins to make it happen. But we do have this. We eliminated some of the background material that's in the back of the 27 volumes. But for the most part, I mean, this is the the word of God is all here. It's it's mm. all in, in this. Um, but but yeah, uh, I forgot the original question. <laughs> how long how long did it take him to compile oh, everything? Yeah, so he's 78 today. So, oh my gracious! Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a incredible life's work for him. And, uh, you know, his wife said, you know, if you want to embark on this project and spend our retirement money, it's okay. As long as you learn one new attribute of God that you didn't know before you started. Hmm. And obviously he has. Yeah. Probably more than one, I would guess. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's an amazing, he's an amazing man. Wow. Well, read a scripture, if you will, before we got to take a break here in about a minute or so. But if you'll read a scripture, maybe one of your favorites or whatever you have there in front of you. Okay. I've got Psalm 116 here. And I'll read, uh, I'll read the first, let's do the first four verses, okay? I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my prayers, because he has turned his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol gripped me, and I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, crying out and saying, O Lord, save my soul. Hmm. And what you can't see is the way that that was laid out on the page to make it easier for me to read it to you. Hmm. Wow. John Herring, The Readable Bible. Uh, where can folks get it? Can they obviously they can go to the website, right? The the readable Bible. Dan has the website there, the uh, readablebible.com. Where else can they get it? They can get it ironstreammedia.com. Uh, and you can buy the uh, individual the, the set or the individual work or wherever books are sold. Awesome. Well, John, we appreciate you. I'd love to catch up with you in a few months to see uh, how it's going. Uh, check out the readable Bible. Again, you can go to the the readable Bible. What is it, Dan? The readable Bible dot com. I need to tell my wife I need one, and she'll say you already have a lot of Bibles, <laughs> but I don't have one of these yet. <laughs> but wait, there's more. There's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah, check it out, John. What a pleasure. We'll catch up with you in a few months. Uh, check it out. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Rick Probst, and I'm Dan Ratcliffe. This is Faith Talk. Hey, look out. It's Faith Talk Live. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Ratcliffe. What a pleasure to talk to Sam Sorbo. She is an actress, and she also has a radio show. We can talk about that in just a few. She's talking about the uh, new Left Behind movie in the series, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, coming out uh, January 26th. Sam, how are you? 
You know, really good, although it's raining here in Houston today. But I just want to tell people, don't get left behind <laughs> and go to the movie this weekend. It's very exciting. We are, we are up from, I think they started with 800 or 1,000 screens. We're up to 1,500 screens. Wow. So it's definitely playing at a theater near you. Go to leftbehindmovie.com. You can get your tickets. And what I'm telling people to do is go online, get your tickets, and then send that link to all your friends and say, hey, meet me at the theater. Show up, don't show up. It'd be great to see you. Maybe we can go for a drink afterwards. You know what I mean? So make it casual and just a fun time at the theater. I'm throwing, I actually am doing it twice because tomorrow I fly to LA. So for the opening night, which is Thursday, I'm having my own Don't Get Left Behind movie party at the at the premiere in uh, Los Angeles. And then by the weekend, I'll be back home in Florida and I'm doing it again. And I've sold out two theaters this way. All awesome. right. Now, Sam is uh, in the movie along with her husband, Kevin Sorbo. And now this is a, a kind of a follow-up to the movie that came out, I believe, like 2014 that yep. had Nicolas Cage in it, uh, the original, I guess, Left Behind movie. Uh, so where does this pick up uh, for those of us, you know, because it's been probably 20 years since I read the, the Left Behind series. Where does this pick up? So this is the second installment of the saga. And it is, yeah, the sequel to the 2014. That to say, you don't have to have seen the movie in 2014. You don't have to have seen the Nicolas Cage movie. My husband reprises the role that Nicolas Cage played. Um, I'm told that the writer of the book series says this one's the best one yet. Awesome. I tend to agree, but that could be because I'm in it. <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a thriller. It's a it's a good ride. It's a good story. One thing that the writers did that I thought they did an, an amazing job of was kind of at the last minute, they said, we're going to rewrite the script. And they wrote in a lot of the stuff that we've seen happening recently with the pandemic. Hmm. So there's also been a pandemic in this wow. movie, even though they don't name it and they don't go too much into like details, but you see vestiges of some of the some of the things that have happened in our culture that we've sort of we've, we've accepted now, you see that in the movie and you see how they wove that into the story of uh, the tribulation. And mm -hmm. it's very cool. So you don't even have to be a believer to see this movie. This movie is appropriate for basically for all audiences. Um, there is some, there are some bad guys in the movie. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for young, 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 young kids, but um, but it's just a lot of fun and uh, invite the people that you are too shy to invite to church with you. Yeah. 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 Who doesn't love a movie? Right. Sam Sorbo, actress. We're talking about Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist. Now, all the folks uh, here, I have a list of the folks that uh, you've worked with in the movie. Talk about the, the cast a bit. How fun was that? And uh, what did you learn from that experience? Okay, so let's see. I worked with my husband, which, of course, I love working with my husband. And he was the director, which made it super fun. Um, I worked I worked with, uh, well, okay, so my role didn't actually overlap the other main characters except for my husband. The guy who played the pastor in the movie, there's a there's this part in the in the trailer where the pastor says, I chose to stay which is such a great line. Uh, and so, and he did a great job. And so, um, but Corbin Burnson did a great job. Neil McDonough is just so just in just amazingly watchable as an actor. And um, they just really bring the, the whole thing home. Greg, who played the lead um, and my son's in the movie too. He played awesome. opposite 
opposite Greg, or, or I suppose Greg's the co-lead because they're they've got two real protagonists for the movie. And I think they're going to slowly pass the baton from Raymond Steele, but I'm not I'm not actually sure how they're going to manage that. But anyway, um, it's just it's just a good movie. It's a it's wholesome entertainment. It's it's um, traditional values entertainment. And I just really recommend it to people. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Neil McDonough. My son and I are both uh, fans of him because he was in uh, he was in it it just slipped my mind. Yeah. uh, what is the name of that uh, DC show? Oh, the Arrow. He was in Arrow. He's been oh. in uh, just several movies and just a phenomenal actor. Love, love Neil. So we're excited. I'm excited about that. Uh, so, what do you want folks to walk away? Whether they are believers or not believers, what do you want folks to walk away with when they watch this? I, I really want them to be enriched. I want them to have a little bit more of whatever faith they start with. And I think that this movie accomplishes that. It's just it's just one step further. I think that it will inspire people to consider um, consider the the eternal questions, the things that we are distracted from considering by by our entire schooling. Right, our entire schooling purports that there is no spirituality, that this world is entirely material, and that's wrong. And so I really want people to to understand that there's more to life than just what the here and now. And maybe it will inspire them to open their Bibles. Maybe it'll inspire them to go to church. Um, But of course we're looking for salvation for people, right? I want people to get saved. And so that's really, ultimately that's, that's the desire. This film I think is, is just one step on that, on that journey. And hopefully will be one step on that journey for many people. Oh, I do want to say that um, it's, it is difficult today to reach out to the Christian community in particular. Mm-hmm. There are the traditional ways of advertising and publicizing this movie, and many of them are hostile to our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And so I really encourage people, when you find out about this movie, if you're watching here, jot down uh, leftbehindmovie.com and share it with friends and tell them that this movie is coming so that at least they know. I mean, I posted it on LinkedIn yesterday and I had a friend who I've known for a long time, strong Christian, goes to church. Like of of all the people who should have heard about this movie, she's one of them, right? Mm -hmm. And she wrote me right back. She said, oh, I had no idea. So don't think that everybody's already heard of it and talk about it with your friends. And invite them to come with you and um, have a good time. And then go to Storbo Studios and let me know how you enjoyed the movie. Yes. Sam Storbo, uh, actress, Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist, coming out January 26th at a theater near you, leftbehindmovie.com. Get your tickets, as Sam said, and then invite some folks and then uh, send the link around too. say, hey, this is coming to a theater near you. Friends, family. Uh, whomever, those that are following Christ and those that uh, are not. It's going to be a great film. Uh, Sam, let's talk a little bit about uh, the rest of 2023. You've got the show that you do weekly. What what else is in the hopper for you? Well, you know, my passion is uh, home education, and I don't call it homeschooling because it's definitely not school, um, mm. especially with what we see in the schools today. I think we have to finally admit school is uh, un unfixable at this point. And in fact, so I train parents what we should be meaning when we're talking about the education of our children, which actually is discipleship. It's not just academic. So the schools convinced us that education was entirely academic. It's the three R's, right? By the way, 
What are the three R's? Reading, reading, writing, writing, which is a W, and arithmetic. Are they three R's? <laughs> Not at all. So the whole thing is sort of built yeah. on a lie, right? Even yeah. even that much of it's a lie. So I just train parents. Um, I have a I have a new version of my playbook coming out, but the the original version of the playbook is still out there, and I've got a series of videos, and I train parents in the education of their children so that they can do it themselves because it's just not that difficult. I've raised three children. I have uh, three nearly grown children who walk in the Lord and are fervent and, and um, fervent Christians and wonderful people and um, respectful. And I have a phenomenal relationship with them. This is one of the things that I tell parents is uh, teenagers don't rebel naturally. That is something that's inculcated from our culture. Our culture continually tells children, parents are stupid, hmm. you know, throw them, to, cast them to the side. You don't have to listen to your parents. And, um, and a lot of kids pick up on that. And so now we think that it's just normal for teenagers to rebel. We go, oh, I used to have people say to me, you've got three teenagers. Oh, you know, wow, <laughs> your hands are full. And I'd be like, yeah, they're full of love. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> we're good. We've got it fine, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I train people. I train parents because I want to save the family. I want to save that institution that God created for the child, uh, the family. And our schools have decimated the family. They've stolen the child from the parents, the parents from the child. And, um, and that's a very sad thing. So there's, but the great thing is there's redemption. There's a, this is a, an easy way out. It'll take one generation. If enough people choose to keep their children home, to teach them themselves and, or, or I should say, educate them because it's not even teaching it's discipling. Uh, and we can start to think about education differently we will go a long way to the preservation of the family and therefore the preservation of the nation and the preservation of what we value so dearly is our freedom. Yeah. And I, I just love the, the name of your book. They're your children. My journey from self-doubter to homeschool advocate. Sometimes we forget they're our kids and we just think, oh, we got to send them to school. We have no control over that. You do. You do. Yeah. They're your kids. <laughs> The, t the schools and the administrators are very busy telling parents, butt out. This is none yep. of your business. You don't have any say in the education of your children. And I say, that's poppycock. And we ought to be putting those people in their place, which is uh, out the door and uh, taking, taking back charge. But the, really the best way to take charge is to do it yourself and not rely on strangers who you've never met before, who have been trained by the institutions that we now know are all woke and Marxist and all that. Um, why would you rely on them to to inform your child of anything, much less, you know, what 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 real intelligence is and stuff like that? You know, yeah. Love it. Uh, Sam Sorbo, actress, uh, again, uh, Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist coming out the 26th. Get your tickets at leftbehindmovie.com. Get Sam's books or stuff. And uh, Sam, we'd love to talk to you again. Uh, later on, just kind of check in and see what's going on. Bless you. Thank you for what you do, you uh, and your entire family. Hey, let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Ratcliffe. This is Faith Talk Live. Hey there, it is Faith Talk Live. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Ratcliffe. Well, she's back, and what a delight she is. Robin Chambers, focus on the family's executive director for 
Advocacy for Children and a friend of ours. Robin, how are you? I'm doing well. A little tired. Just got back from D.C., the March for Life last week. So playing catch up today, but I'm I am well. Yeah, that's, that's, what we, that's what we wanted to talk to you about. It was on it was on Saturday, right? And it was on, it, actually Friday. The March was on Friday, Friday and the mm-hmm. 50th annual March for Life. Wow. How cool is that? It was it was amazing to be there. And I felt a different atmosphere this year. Um, certainly one of, of celebration, you know, because the Dobbs decision, um, but just a renewed sense of there's still work to be done and we're ready to do it. And so it was a really special time for me to be there. That was my 13th time. Um, and it just felt um, different in a good way this year. So for those who have never been to a March for Life or, or who haven't watched it or anything, what what kind of things do you do you do there? What kind of crowd did you have this year? What what did we miss out on if we weren't there? <laughs> One of the highlights for me is seeing all the young people, and you know I think it's really easy to assume that it's old people like me, you know, that are going to the march. And what I saw um, at our expo, so the March for Life organization does an expo just prior to the March for Life, and we had so many young people that came through. Um, I laughed and told my team it's probably because the the free stuff that we gave out. <laughs> but, you know, those kids, they love their, their swag. But yep. it really was. It's just, for me, it's so encouraging to see young people that are really interested in um, learning how to stand for life. How do you walk out your pro-life convictions in a way that is winsome, not judgy? And I see that, you know, when you're when you're marching. And, you, you know, I think the numbers that we saw were right around 100,000. Um, but it, it's, I cry every year. I know I'm a big sap, but I stand on main stage and I look out. And as far as you can see, you know, this direction and then all the way back, um, toward the, the Washington monument, it was full of people who were celebrating life. It's a peaceful, um, protest and it's, there's no vitriol, there's no anger. And it's just people who are standing strong for life, recognizing and acknowledging that the Dobbs decision was huge, something we prayed for for 50 years, um, but also recognizing that there's still a lot of work to be done. And, you know, having people talk about it in a way that is, um, again, winsome and not judgmental. I want to be a part of that every day. Yeah, yeah. Robin, Robin, <coughs> excuse me, pardon me. Robin Chambers, focused on the family's executive director for advocacy Four children were talking about the March for Life, which was Friday. I did see some news stories and some film, and I'm with you. Uh, every picture that I saw now, they they of course showed both sides uh, on the news story, but every picture that I saw of pro life marchers and people uh, demonstrating peacefully, they were young people, mm-hmm. and I thought that is awesome. <laughs> It is. And I think we don't give those kids enough credit. I think they are really hungry to be educated on how they can be involved in their local communities. And I think that's one of the reasons they come to the expo. There's so many organizations there that they can talk to. Um, And I had a chance to talk to a group of students from Cedarville University, and they just said, how do we get involved? What do we do? How do we have these conversations? And their hearts are so pure and they are absolutely, um, committed to doing things in a way that is, like you said, winsome, engaging, and really their long-term to support those women. And they say that they, they say, how do I, how do I begin the conversation? 
and said the best way when you come across a young woman in an unplanned pregnancy is to say, how can I support you? Yeah. And leave yeah. it at that. Yeah. It's, it was sad to see for me going into it, there was this whole news story about Tony Dungy getting involved and, and people you know, kind of lambasting him for getting involved. And I think, why would, why would you get so, for lack of a better word, vitriolic about somebody who's going and, and supporting life? Absolutely. And, you know, he said that, um, you know, why is it such a bad thing to stand for women? He goes, I'm standing for women. I'm standing for children. Why is that such a bad thing? Um, and I think it's because, you know, the, the, the very left-leaning media has done a great job of telling people, um, well, they're selling fear. They're just telling people that women's rights have gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, women are going to die if there's no access to abortion. Um, and so I think Tony's standing in that space and using his platform in a way that says, no, we're, we're, we're standing for women. We are here to protect women. Um, of course, he's going to get the backlash. And it's so... For me, it was very inspiring to hear him say that and to use that platform in a way, you know, and he and his wife adopted eight children. I mean, obviously the man is very pro-life and very pro-family and to be judged for that is very sad. Yeah. We're talking about the March for Life that happened on uh, Friday in D.C., the 50th annual uh, uh, Focus on the Family dot com is a great place to go to. It doesn't stop last Friday. It's only the beginning. And we'll ask Robin about that in a second. Robin, I can imagine you said you've been there, what, 13 years. Mm-hmm. Imagine folks that have been there year after year. And this being monumental, not only the 50th, but as you say, after Roe v. Wade was turned over, I'm sure you were not the only one crying. I think there were a lot of us. It just felt, um, like I guess it just felt different in a good way this year. And I think it was because there's a renewed sense of unity in the pro-life movement and recognizing that um, we are stronger together. And so coming together like that, I think, was a very symbolic way to say, you know, all of us in the pro-life movement are still aware that there's work to be done and we're ready to link arms. Um, We have a picture on our I Am Pro-Life Facebook page that shows two women that have been at the march every single year for 50 years. Wow. Um, And so that's just the the, the type of commitment that the people who attend the march – and it's not like you said, it's not vitriolic. It's a way just to celebrate. Um, and it's, it's, it's impactful. It is so impactful to be there. Now, obviously, uh, with, with the Dobbs decision, it's, it's not the end of, of the fight. It just changes the fight, which we've talked about. But, uh, but where do we go from here? What's, what's next, uh, for the fight here? And especially, uh, with you with focus on the family. What a great question. You know, one of the things that we've said, you know, around here is um, abortion didn't go away. Abortion went back to the state level. Um, And so now we have 50 battlegrounds, not just the one big one. And so one of the things that my team and I are working on, actually have worked on and and rolled it out is a post-row strategy. What does that look like? Our goal here at Focus is to really make our pregnancy centers the heroes. They're the ones on the front line every single day. Um, they really do have those conversations that are life and death. There are young women who um, their circumstances are so extreme. They can't imagine having a child or bringing a child um, into a world where there's no support for her, much less her and her child. Mm -hmm. And so working through that and really identifying everything that a pregnancy center would need to really reach the abortion minded women, not just in that moment of crisis, 
and not in just that moment of decision-making, but long-term. How do we identify resources in her community that will support her in that circumstance? Um, and that's what we've said for years. You know, we've been accused in the pro-life movement of being pro-birth and pro-baby. Um, our desire at Focus was to really show that we are pro-woman. And so we're finding ways that um, will help her find housing if she needs it. Um, child care, you know, if she has a, a job. We are really calling on Christian businesses to step in and say, hey, you know what? We'll reserve a few of those, a few of our, our job openings for women who come from that pregnancy center and father the baby so that there's job training, job placement, and immediate medical care for her and her child and possibly the father of that baby. So we're working on all of these areas that really would answer all of her questions on how do I have this baby if I don't have a home, if I don't have medical care, if I don't have, you know, you fill in the blank. Removing all those barriers, but doing it through that local pregnancy center, that's how all of us get involved. Um, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, Rick and Dan, but that really is the Big C Church coming alongside your local pregnancy center. After she's made the decision and she's working with that pregnancy center, where do we want her to go? We want her to go to her local church. That's her support long term. And isn't our ultimate goal to have her and her child and the father of that child thriving in Christ? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's our goal. But the practical side of that is what has to happen sometimes first. Um, when she's in a crisis situation, she doesn't need someone just saying, oh, you need Jesus and everything will be fine. Right. Well, of course, we know she needs Jesus, but she also needs a home where she can bring her child home to. How does she bring a newborn home if she doesn't have a home? How does she care for that child if she doesn't have medical care? So we're actually working on all of those issues at the pregnancy center level to fully equip them to answer all those questions. That's so good, Rob. And mm -hmm. thanks for covering the basis because you're right. We do want them to know Jesus, but there's some practical things, some life <laughs> things that they really need. And, uh, you know, no doubt that speaks to their hearts once they receive those those things. Uh, they see that, uh, you know, they're, it's not just talk. Uh, but it's actually action on the part of those that believe in pro-life. Robin Chambers, uh, part of Focus on the Family, Executive Director for Advocacy for uh, Children. Robin, thank you so much. Go to FocusOnTheFamily.com there to find out more, how you can be a part of what they're doing there. And uh, get ready because uh, next year it'll be number 51. It'll be bigger, no doubt, bigger and better than ever. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Rick Probst. And I'm Dan Ratcliffe. This is Faith Talk Live. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 